Thank God for the His Spirit that we feel already. Preparing our hearts and our minds for Him to speak to us. I don't claim to be uh, God's voice, but we all believe Him to speak to us this morning through His Word. That's why we read His Word every time that we're here. All of us, uh, all of us can quote large portions of the Bible. Maybe not get it word for word, maybe not know chapter and verse, but we know what the Word of God says. Amen? And it would be very easy for us, you, me, any of us, to come and gather and say a lot of good things about God, but to hear His Word and to hear Him speak, that's why we're here this morning. Amen? Thank God for His Word. Thank God for His Spirit that helps us to discern His Word. Thank God that He is here this morning. And He's already moved. Amen. I'm ready to hear. You say, what? well, you're about to preach. Yeah, I, I'm ready to hear. <laughs> I'm ready to hear what He has to say because there's going to be things that are said this morning not on this tablet. And that's the way He works. And it's amazing. And it helps me to stay humble because I spend a lot of hours on messages and he still out preaches me. And it's fantastic. It really is. So turn to Galatians chapter 5. We're going to read 14 through 18, focusing on, uh, focusing on 17 and 18 this morning, talking about fighting in the Spirit or warring with the Spirit, however you want to to word that this morning. Fighting in the Spirit. Setting up what is probably the most well-known passage in the Bible apart from like Romans 8 or John 3.16 is the works of the flesh, the fruit of the Spirit are the way that we're going to describe it, the vices of men and the virtues of God. Okay, So, let us pray and we will read. Lord, we thank you for the move that we've had this morning already, God, as we praised your name through song and through worship, Lord. But I ask that you move upon us even now as we break open your word and we hear from you, Lord. Let this message be a better message than I have prepared. Lord, let your voice go out this morning. Let you, Lord, touch us both in heart, mind, and spirit. Lord, I ask this in your name. Amen. Chapter 5, verse 14 reads like this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. For these are in opposition of one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. You can be seated this morning. Thank you. Verses 17 and 18 again that's where we're at, mostly in 17, 18, backing this up. We must be led by the Spirit. For at least the next two weeks, 
um, God willing, we are going to be very focused on spirituality in the life of Christianity. Christianity isn't just a word meaning Christ-like. Christianity isn't just a definition that sets apart a group of individuals from another group of individuals. Christianity can very well be muddy waters when we look at the different uh, sects and denominations and things that are in this world. There's a lot of people who claim to be Christians, but there are those who abide by the Word of God and those who abide by their own interpretations and manifestations, and we're not getting into all of that. Paul is setting up the application part of his letter. We're in the application part, and last week we, we started that looking back at verse 1 in chapter 5, saying that we're set free for freedom's sake. Now he is applying what that actually means. You're free, but this is how we're going to apply that freedom. Don't fall back into the old ways, right? Don't fall back into the bondage of the law. You've been set free from that, and you don't have to look at that anymore. Look to Christ, right? And then last week, we went a little bit further, and it's saying you've been set apart from the law. You've been set free for freedom's sake to live in Christ. Don't go off and practice sin, right? Practice righteousness. And, and we're looking at that part still setting up, like I said, what we know is the works of the flesh, which Paul is going to tell us, do not inherit the kingdom of God. We're going to look at that. And, and then he doesn't leave us in that horrible place. He says, this is what you were, right? This is what you still struggle with. We're not, we're warring against that. That's what he's setting up today. And then he gives us the virtues of God lining up very well with our study on the attributes of God. These are those attributes that we can actually uh, partake in. I, I can love here in this physical body, right? And we can we can walk through the vices of men, those things that we love to do but are against God, and the virtues of God that war against the flesh. That's that's where we're headed this morning. So, or the next couple uh, uh, services, God God willing. So, in the previous passages, right, Paul speaks truth to to the Galatians, and now it's truth. Applied. How do we apply the truths of the Word of God? That's really where the rubber meets the road. We can talk a lot of high-handed, a lot of lofty language. We, we can talk about the truths of the Bible all day long. There are literally people who debate and argue and worry about what the Bible actually says without every, ever practicing what the Bible says. It doesn't matter if you know that Jesus is the Son of God and He died on a cross for your sins if it's never applied to your life. I can know that. I did know that. I lived that life. His blood was not applied to the doorpost of my heart until it was. And now I live that. So I knew it, but now I live it. Job's had this same uh, same thing. He was counted righteous, yes, and, and he, he, he had an idea of who God was. But at the end of Job, he says, I knew who you were, but now I've seen you. He had a deeper understanding of God. And that's what true Christianity is. In the place that we live, in this Bible belt of the United States, we know 
God. But many of us haven't seen Him. And they need to. But Paul would even go further to say, don't look down on people like that because you were that at one time. You were that one who knew of God, but the truth was not applied to your life. I knew who God was. I just didn't care, right? You're like, ooh, that doesn't sound right. I know it's very abrasive to the Christian now, but that's who I was. I, I, just, I knew God. I knew of him. I just didn't care until one day it was revealed to me in my heart by God that he cared to know me. He cared that I didn't care. And he meant to change that, and he did, thank God. If you've had this experience, you know exactly what I'm talking about. If none of this is making sense to you, it can. It can. Allow God to work in your life. Put past the humility and the pridefulness and all of the things that are in your heart and look to Christ, the author and perfecter of your faith this morning. Paul now begins to describe how to live this way. He's saying we need to live spiritual. We need to be holy because our God is holy, and this is how we do it. This is the, this is the remainder of the letter. Chapter 6, I absolutely love it. If you have subtitles in your Bible, chapter 6 is a great chapter. It says, bear one another's burdens. So from here on out, that's... Paul is describing what it is to be a Christian. It's to love others, right? Above everything else, love your neighbor as yourself. Paul isn't saying anything new. It's not a new revelation to Paul. He's literally quoting Jesus, and Jesus was literally quoting Leviticus, right? It's been the thread throughout all of history that apart from Christ, we can't love right. In Christ, we can. And that's, that's really the, the differing thing, the most abrasive thing with the world and the Christian is that we aim to love them in their state, and they hate that. It's the same thing that Christ dealt with when he come into this world and he wept over Israel. He's standing on the mountain looking over Jerusalem and he's, he's weeping and he says, how I would have longed to gather you as a mother hen gathers her chicks, her brood, right? But you would not. And over and over and over again, you see this same conflict where he loves and they hate him. He loves and they don't like it. He loves and he heals, but he doesn't heal in the way that they want him to. And he loves and he feeds the masses, but he only does it when it's God's will and it's not enough, right? It's never enough for the world. It's never enough for someone who doesn't apply truth to their lives. Our nature is to take. And if God wants to give, cool. If he wants to give blessing, I'm all for that. But whenever he stands in his seat and he says, serve, I don't want no part of that. I'll take the loaves, I'll take the fishes, right? 
He turns to the crowd. He's, he's, he's got the mega church going on, right? He's, he's just like, people are following him everywhere. He turns to them one day and, and he begins to speak to them and to tell them things that are hard, so hard even his own disciples say, if this is true, who can be saved? Christ saying it's those who love God. It's those who love others. It's those who endure to the end. He's given us the roadmap to salvation. We merely must put our faith that what he said was true and then walk in that truth. This is how we do it. First, we fight self. Paul sets this up in a perfect way, in a, in a most inspired way. How do I achieve godliness? I kill my flesh. And then I can walk in godliness, right? How do I achieve a righteousness that I cannot achieve? I deal with the person that's in trouble. I deal with the issue. And ladies and gentlemen, the issue isn't the one sitting next to you. The issue isn't the ones outside these doors. The issue isn't the fact that you are or are not where you... The issue is us. It's me. The number one enemy of my Christian walk is me. I am the one that gets in the way most of the time. Yes, we have an enemy that fights us. Yes, he sends those fiery darts and those thoughts. Yes, he has messengers literally of himself that come to buffet the church. Absolutely. But that's us. That's not a lot when you look at it. He doesn't have to trip me up because most of the time I stumble over my own two feet. He doesn't have to put things in my way to tempt my eyes to gaze because my eyes are prone to seek already. He doesn't have to put things within my grasp to make me want to grab because these hands are prone to wonder. These feet are prone to stray. And when we understand that, that even as a Christian, it's still an issue, I can begin to fight with the right person. And I can begin to fight in the right person. We fight against ourselves, and we war with the Spirit against ourselves. This is the conflict that we find in our lives. Most of the time, we are quenching the power that God has given us to war with the Spirit. And what happens? I feel like I win. But what I really do is trip myself up. Paul points to the only source of power, right? Here is, here is the problem. We have an enemy, right? So what's the solution? That we defeat this enemy. But that becomes very conflicted when I'm fighting myself. I want me to die, and at the same time, I want me to live. I want Christ to reign in my life, and at the same time, I want to sit on the throne. I want this world to see Jesus in me, and at the same time, I want to be exalted. This is the conflict that we have, and maturing in Christ means a disconnect from myself. And whenever I choose with my own free will to fight with the spirit that's in me, then that becomes an issue. On the same side of that coin, if I step over to his side and I now war with him against my flesh, 
I can't fight. I can't fight the spirit. If I just get out of the way and say things like we know to say, like, Lord, remove me from this situation. Let your light reign in my life. Let your will be done. Lord, not my will, but your will. And actually mean it when we say it, things begin to happen. Problems begin to fall away. Maturity begins to happen. True growth begins to happen. Like I said, nothing new this morning. We understand all of this, but this is the stuff that hurts what we're talking about. This is the stuff that really cuts deep because the roots are deep. But in order, what the Word of God says, for the fruit of the Spirit to grow, there has to be an uprooting. There has to be a cutting away. There has to be a pruning. There has to be a grafting in. There's things that must happen must happen we could do all the work right think of a garden i can get out there on a tractor and i can bust open the ground i can till open the ground i can remove the rocks i can remove the stumps i can remove everything and never plant a seed something's going to grow the ground can be ready to receive and something's going to grow but what's going to grow is not what you want The birds of the air will come and drop things. The ground will take back over. Thorns and thistles. Something is going to grow in that fallow ground. But if God plants a seed and we nurture that seed and we prune and and work with God, He's the great husbandman. If we just do what He says, that's what a husbandman is, the, the great farmer, whatever you want to call it. If we just do what He says then true growth is going to come. That parable, though, of the wheat and the tares, it's true believers and unbelievers alike, but we can can glean from that parable as well that even in this wheat field that we call Christian life, there are some tares that come up. And there's some things that are just going to grow until Jesus comes back. But there's other things that will wither and die away. And as the harvest comes year after year of reaping and sowing, what you'll notice is there's more and there's more and there's more wheat. And there should be less and less and less tares. Sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, loving and giving, loving and giving. And what you find is there's less of me in the field and there's more of him in the field. There's less of the vices of men that can tempt me And there's more of the virtues of God that I find joy in. right? There's less of the things of this world that can turn this eye that's bent towards the world or or these hands or these feet and this mind. And what I find is I turn my eyes to the Lord because that's where my help comes from. So we have the conflict of desire. And this is why it's so hard for us is because desire is a strong emotion. Strong emotion. One of, if not the strongest emotions that we have as humans. If I desire something and I desire it enough, I'll do anything to get it. Right? Let's, let's look at a kid who desires an ice cream. They'll They'll ask, they'll plead, they'll beg, they'll throw fits, they'll steal, they'll do whatever they can to get it. Right? 
Doesn't have to be ice cream. Like I'm lactose intolerant. Fine. Whatever it is. But flip that around. If your true desire is Christ, then you should be willing to do anything to get Him. What my son is starting to learn is that if he really wants something, to just come and ask me. And most of the time, most of the time, daddy's going to say, sure, absolutely, not a problem. Sometimes I'm going to say, no, not now, but later. I haven't said no. It's just not the appropriate time. It'll come later, right? Sometimes that, that helps him. Other times, it doesn't. And he just really wants that thing right now, right? One of the hardest things, and I'll just have to ask for forgiveness uh, if she hears it. My mom, go into my parents' house. The grandparents love them. They love my kid to death, love my nephew, love my niece. But they really don't care what mama and daddy says, right? If, if <laughs> It's the way of life. I get it. But... Richard Paul knows what I'm going to say because we normally go over there around supper time, right? We're going to eat. But he really wants dessert. So instead of coming to me, he'll go to Momo and say, Momo, what I really want is that ice cream sandwich that's in the refrigerator. And Momo is going to turn around completely uh, hypocritical because she would have never done that for me and my brother and go, absolutely, sure. How many do you want, right? It's whatever, whenever, it doesn't matter. And then I'll pipe up and say, I got to look like the bad guy now, right? And I'll say, you can have it just after food. You need to eat, right? Because I know that your eyes are overwhelming your stomach and you have room for an ice cream sandwich or you have room for food. You don't have room for both. You really want the ice cream sandwich, but what you really need is the food. And then sometimes there's a conflict, sometimes they're not. Most of the time, my mom is learning to just say, okay, agree to disagree, because we're the parents, right? It's it's the whole conflict, it's the whole thing. But his desires never change through the whole thing, right? I'm warring with the one trying to help him, and all the while, I'm really trying to help Richard Paul. Same thing in the Spirit. The Spirit of God that should live in you as a Christian is warring 24-7, is warring against the prince of the power of the air, is warring against those enemy, that enemy that seeks to devour you even when you don't understand. And the last thing we need to do is fight against that Spirit because He's here to help. And all He wants is the best for you spiritually. And sometimes we don't understand that. And when we pray for things and your desire is for the things of God and I just want God to move in my life, I just I need His answer for this prayer. I need this healing in my body. I need this thing. I need this. His answer may not be no. Sometimes it's just wait. And if we're not careful, we'll take the wait as a no and we'll throw a fit. Right, And instead of having patience and self-control and the fruit of the Spirit, what comes up is bouts of anger, right? Vices of men that come up and we want to war against the very one who is working 
to give us what we desire. Because as a Christian, our desires have changed. Yeah, it's veiled in flesh and we fight, but, but our desire has changed. My true desire is to please God, and that's what I want to do. And He's put a call on my life, and I want to see things happen, and I pray, and whenever it doesn't happen the way I want to, it's very quick. It's like that sometimes. The old me will stand up and go, uh-huh, you called me to this, and you ain't going to do what you told me to do. I know I'm preaching to myself. None of us has ever had conversations with God like that, right? I know better than to shake my fist at God, but whew, some of the things I think as if he can't hear my thoughts. Well, you've called me to this. You've, you've, you've pushed me in this position. You've, you've, you've allowed me to step out on faith. Where are you? Be careful to not fall into the old self, but to war against that, that desire that comes up. There's a conflict of desires. That's verse 17. The desire of the flesh is opposed to the desire of the Spirit. They do not work together. They do not work together. They're opposed to each other. Our fleshly urges and desires are warring against our will to do what God wants us to do. This is the life of a Christian. You go, why in the world is sometimes this Christian life so hard? Because now we're in a fight. We're fighting. The number one sign that you have that you are in a true Christian, that you are trusting in God, is that there is a fight. Because if the Spirit of God isn't in you, there's nothing to fight. It's just you. You're all by yourself, along with your vices, the most miserable person there is. Warring in the Spirit should be a joyful thing. You go, what? Yeah, Paul would say that, right? He was thankful. He gave glory to God for the sufferings that he suffered, both physical and spiritual, because he was counted worthy to do them. How many Christians that you know think like that? I wake up and I'm suffering today. The, the devil just like warred with me all night long, right? I had sleep paralysis and he, he tickled my toes and, and he, he, he just buffeted me all night long. You wake up that next morning going, thank you, God. That's a, a way to think, right? You go to work and, and instead of just being able to do your job, now you're doing your job and fighting the prince of the powers of the air that's there. Thank you, God that you count me worthy to suffer for you. But you know what that does? That puts you on a winning side. That puts you in the mindset of a godly individual. Thank you, God, that you've put me in this position because I trust you to get me out of it. I don't know how to do it. I know I can't do it in myself, so I'm just going to lean on you. And most of the time when we get out of the way... We see what God is doing. We need to hear these words that there is a war going on. You are not passive in this. You are at war. These two sets of desires, they do not exist peacefully with each other. One wants to dominate the other one. One wants the other one gone. Which one will win? 
We're not passive in this situation. We either war against our flesh, being empowered by the Spirit, or we quench the power and we lose the fight. We're either empowered and entangled in this spiritual war that's happening within us, or we throw down our arms and we allow ourselves to be run over by ourselves. One of the problems we face is that we make our flesh and our spirit, we try to make them work together. I can just keep some of my things and I can keep some of the things of God and we'll, we'll live peacefully. We can occupy the same area and everything's going to be okay. That doesn't work in the physical world and it surely doesn't work in the spiritual world. These two desires do not and cannot exist together. And that's what verse 17 says. Look look again at the verse. For these are opposed to each other. Right? They're opposed to each other. They do not try to make room for one another. And this is this is the cause of of most miserable Christians. That those Christians who just can't. Right? These miserable Christians are those who want to gratify all things fleshly uh, and at the same time want to follow the Spirit. I want to gratify myself and follow the Spirit. You'll never find that in the Word of God ever. Ever. We try to do the right thing, but we feel miserable because we want to gratify our desires. I'm not happy when I do the right thing. Right? I can't find my joy in doing the right thing. So then we gratify our desires only to be miserable because of the shame we feel for not following the Spirit. Most miserable. We call this uh, a lot of different things, but it's, it's trying to live with a foot in the world and a foot in Christ. It, it doesn't happen. You can't do it. You're not happy in the world, and you're surely not happy in Christ. You can't find joy in the vices and the virtues crush you. And until we get on the right side and allow the virtues to change us, then we find joy. Why do you think one of those fruit of the Spirit is joy, is peace, is self-control, is patience? Because our love is in the right place. We create a life of misery and, and we set uh, we try and sit in the middle of these two warring desires. Ephesians 4, 22-24 speaks of this. It says, we, uh, we were taught, you were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Verse 20. Three, to be with, uh, to be made new in the attitude of your minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul here uses uh, 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 imagery of, of clothing, taking off old clothes and putting on new clothes, right? How many has ever done the challenge they call it a challenge now we used to do it when we was kids uh layer like you just try and put on as many layers as you can 
right? You put on like 15 shirts, two or three pairs of pants, a pair of shorts, some socks, right? And you just walk around like the kid from the Christmas Carol, right? You just try, try and do. How comfortable are you? You're not. Very hot, very uncomfortable. Some These challenges now, they, they put so much on that, that kids are actually like almost dying going to the hospital. They're suffocating themselves almost. And it's, it's a very good imagery to what's happening in the spirit, what starts off as being fun, we're just going to have fun, we're going to play this game, we're going to do this thing, ends up trying to take your life. When all the while, what your parent is trying to tell you is just put on what I laid out. It's just, just put on your school clothes. Like, what are you doing? Right? I've been guilty of that, and I'm sure I w- I'll walk in like, you know, they get you up and you never want to get up in time and life's running, right? And they, they already have your uniform laid out and you walk in 30 minutes later and you should be ready and you, you just, you're not. You're doing something you shouldn't be, right? Rearranging your room or just doing doing stupid childish things, right? My mom would, would always say the same thing. Just do what you're told. We got to go. We got, we, there's a day ahead of us. There's stuff to do, right? You're dealing with the wrong thing. I've done ask you to clean your room 17 times this week. Right now, not the time. Right now is not the time. Put your clothes on. The school bus is leaving, right? But apply that spiritually. How many times do we just waste our day doing nothing? Doing things that doesn't, that doesn't spiritually matter. I'm not talking about going about our day. We, we all have things to do. we got jobs, school, everything to do. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about in your spiritual maturing, in your growing in life. What are you doing? Who are you warring with? Are you quenching flesh or are you quenching spirit? Because one's going to win. One will crush you. So we have a conflict of desires, and then we have, again, uh, becoming free or living in freedom. Verse 18. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. He he brings it back around to this. And, And where does this war come from? Sometimes we can be mistaken, and we can believe that this war or these problems or uh, come from the outside of us, but what's really happening is it's coming from the inside of us and manifesting on the outside of us. That's why the Word of God would tell us that we don't war with flesh and blood, but we war with spirits, with powers, with principalities, with things that are unseen, inward things. So the next time that person comes up to you and wants to start conflict, remember that it's not that person, but it's the spirit that's being allowed to live in that person. Changes things a little bit, doesn't it? Because I can still love Matt, even though Matt's trying to devour me, because I understand that it's not Matt. I can pray for Matt, and I can say, Lord, open his eyes so that he can see. Because if Matt could truly see how he's treating me, he wouldn't like it, right? That goes in the world and in the church. Same. When that person comes to you and they treat you like the world, don't don't be surprised. They're in the world. 
They're going to treat you like the world. If your church member comes to you and treats you in a horrible way, don't be surprised. Pray. Pray. Something's went awry. Figure it out. There's a problem somewhere that can be fixed. Listen to what James says here. He says in James 1 and 14, But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. It starts with me. It starts with me. So, like I said, church member comes and there's a conflict. Look at me before you look at them. Because chances are it's probably me. (laughs) Right? And if it isn't me, that's cool. But then pray. Isolation is is not uh, good. It doesn't do anything good. It doesn't fix problems. We can't just isolate from the problems. We can't be passive in this. We fight. Sometimes we attempt to find freedom in the wrong way, which causes conflict. Freedom is not uh, through willpower or through isolation, but freedom is possible being led by the Spirit. That's what these verses here are telling us. If you're led by the Spirit, you're going to have freedom. That's one of the lies of our enemy. We'll tell you that if you follow God, then you have to follow all His rules and you have to do all His things and He's going to live over you as Lord. And all of that is true. It's just the wrong perception. No, I gain Christ as Lord. And yes, there are a lot of rules and statutes and commandments, but I'm empowered by His Spirit that He has graciously sent to be able to do it and not only do it, but desire to do it. It's not a burden to serve God. Shouldn't be. So what's the takeaway of our lives as we consider uh, discipleship, because that's what we're really talking about. Learning of God through His through His Spirit. First, this is a winnable war. We're not warring against ourselves, and we're never going to get anywhere. This is a winnable war. We we do not have to be enslaved by ourselves. You do not have to gratify your fleshly desires. You, you don't have to do that. We've been set free from that. Walk in the Spirit. <clears throat> Excuse me. You're not doomed to have your flesh rule over your life. We've been set free of that. It's not a hopeless situation, even though maybe that's what you feel this morning. I just can't. How many has ever said that? I want to, but I can't. That's a very real situation. Because your desire is to do things that aren't desirable. But you can fight through this. We stay enslaved while trying to put the new clothes on top of the old clothes. Our our problem isn't that we've been clothed in righteousness. Our problem is that we never let go of the filthy rags. Right? We've been given this this robe of glorification, future glorification, and instead of doing like blind Bartimaeus and throwing away the beggar's coat, we just kind of stuff it in there. I might need it again. 
You go, oh, I don't think like that. That's how you live your life when we do things. When we do things like that. I, I want to trust God and I want to do what He says to do, but, but this was comfortable. And it never done me anything wrong. And it sure was nice when I did it. And it got what I wanted. Right? Back to Richard Paul. He can eat that ice cream cone or whatever before food, but then I'm going to fight with him to eat, and he's going to eat. And he's going to be most miserable doing it. Or he could just enjoy his plate of food and dessert. Right? Everything in due season, everything in due time, everything in the right desire. Some of our vices aren't inherently uh, sinful, but we make them that way because of our perception and because of where we place things in our life. Second and last, a Christian is someone who is at war against these fleshly desires, these desires that we're going to go through next week. Be concerned if you do not feel the war within you. That's what we're setting up for. If you leave here today and you're like, I have no idea what he was talking about, like, I don't war with anything. I'm at peace, inner peace with myself. You are in a bind. You're in a bind. If, if at the very least you've quit fighting and there's a war coming, right? If you don't feel the inner conflict, then you've become comfortable in your sins and that's not a good place to be. Be concerned if you are complacent in your sin. You know it's there. It's been revealed and you just don't want to do anything with it. I understand, God, that you know a month ago you showed this, you revealed this to me through prayer or through the service or through song or somebody coming or whatever. And, and I know, and I'm going to get around to it. Right? Mom telling me to clean my room. I'm going to get around to it. I'm going to do it. And then one day you come home and you realize mom's cleaned your room and all of your stuff, all of your belongings is in a trash bag at the end of the road. It would have been way better for me just to clean and to do spiritually. And as we stand, it's way better to just allow God to move because the word of God says that he will move in the life of a Christian. And if he has to crush you to do it, he will. He will. But that's not without explicit, continuous warning. Just here, deal with this thing. Deal with this thing. Deal with this thing. Deal with this thing. Then one day it's, okay, I'm going to deal with it. And you're crushed. And you're better for it in the end, but it's so much more miserable to be chastened by God than it is to just be moved by God. If he's dealing with something in your life right now, just deal with it. Just get rid of it. It's not worth it. It's really not worth it to have everything that you're trying to build on this foundation burn like chaff in the wind. Just deal with it and build with God and grow with God and grow. And when a vice comes up and when a work of the flesh comes up, deal with it. And a virtue is going to come up in its place. Uh, it's the way God works. I was in Sunday school with Brother Ethan and them, and uh, and that's what they've been talking about is the works of the flesh and the the, the fruit of the spirit, and and that's what he said. You know, dealing with the works of the flesh is good, 
But God doesn't just rip things out of you. He always replaces with good, right? And it's the opposite. If you read like we will, he almost preached my message for next week, and that's okay. All of the vices, the opposite is the fruit, right? And it all comes out of the first fruit. Why do you think it's fruit and not fruits? Plural. Because it's all love, the first one. When you love right, you act right. Period. So there you go. Please come back Sunday. But that's pretty much the message. When you love right, you act right. Okay? <laughs> Amen. Let's bow our heads. Is, is there anyone who, who needs prayer this morning? Amen. Let's gather around. Let's pray with, with Miss Gina Kay.